Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Happy Easter, everyone. This is the Italian American Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co host, Dolores Alfieri. And in today's Easter episode, we chat with Fred Gardafe. Distinguished Professor of English and Italian-American Studies at Queens College, CUNY, and the John D. Calandra Italian-American Institute. Also in our story segment, Dolores will chat with Christian Piazza to talk about his documentary that features three Italian immigrants. Dolores, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Buona Pasqua, Anthony. Yes, it's Easter episode. We have a great one lined up here today. We do. Fred was a, a lot of fun and one of these guests that we really love where you can kind of just hit record and let him go because he's like vibrant and fun and super knowledgeable. You guys are all in for a real treat. Anthony, before we get started, let's talk a little bit about the new neighborhood, A Place for Italian Americans, which we've been talking about on the show, but we actually launched this week. We did. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, you know, meeting a lot of our listeners in this kind of intimate space where we can learn more about them, banter back and forth, find out where they're from, find out what they're interested in. So we really want to encourage those of you who've, who, who are listening now to check out the new neighborhood and to consider joining it. It really is a place and we want it to grow with your help into a place where Italian Americans like you can connect with one another in a real way. We don't want it just to be this online community where you know we just talk about nostalgia as much as we love nostalgia, but it's a place where you can connect, maybe meet other passionate Italian Americans in your area and you know resurrect those Sunday dinners. The whole idea behind it is to you know, we don't have the traditional neighborhoods that we used to have, or at least they're not as strong as they once were, where all the Italians lived on the same block and you could play out in the street. But what we are trying to do is recreate that in one form using this technology by having a place where we can all gather online and we can talk. And if you're, you know, you happen to be going to New York City or New Jersey or somewhere else for the day, maybe you'll get the chance to hook up with another member from the new neighborhood. And it kind of gives you that Italian American network that's easily accessible. And so far, that's the way it's been. We've been meeting people in the group that we have, this private group, chatting, talking about our past. And it's, you know, people are already making connections. It's great. That's right. And, you know, Anthony, very quickly, I want to just talk about why we're charging a fee. It's a small fee. It's a one-time yearly fee. But let me just explain that. It's basically for two reasons. One is, this is going to help support the podcast. There are fees associated with the production of this show, let alone all the hours Anthony and I pour into it. There's actual costs to producing every episode so that it sounds good and professional. 
So that's number one, you're supporting the podcast. But number two is we want it to be a real space where only passionate Italian-Americans join. You know, when you have some money, some skin in the game, right? It means you really want to be there and you're really devoted. So that it's kind of a bar we set for entrance. Yeah, and I think the social medias in general are very inundated today and you can get overwhelmed with them. And that's why this is meant to be a more intimate group where you could come in and feel very comfortable and talk about some of your past and your history. And it, so far, that's what people are doing. Exactly. So, Anthony, how can people find out more about the new neighborhood? All you need to do is go to the italianamericanexperience.com forward slash in lowercase new neighborhood. And that'll take you to a page with a video with Dolores and I kind of talking about the new neighborhood and also a very easy way for you to click a button and sign up and join us and you'll be directed into our private group and you'll get to introduce yourself and we'll go from there. It's very simple. And again, we'll also include it in our emails. If you're not on our email list, just go to italianamericanexperience.com and click on the join button and you can sign up for our, our newsletter. All right, so we hope to see you all in the new neighborhood. Let's get into this episode now. Before we do formally introduce our guest, I would like to offer a brief word from our sponsor, the National Italian American Foundation. I'm John Viola, president of the National Italian American Foundation, proud supporters of the Italian American podcast. At IF, we know there's nothing more important than family, and we invite you to be a part of ours. We work hard to protect our great heritage, to promote the Italian language, to build stronger ties between Italy and the United States, and to serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, with over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, we provide young Italian-Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming future leaders for our community. To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family. This is Gabrielle Maletti, Director of Programs at the National Italian American Foundation, and here is your NIAF in the News. The National Italian American Foundation is excited to run the NIAF Congressional Fellowship Program for the second year in a row. During the fall semester of 2017, the foundation will place five outstanding Italian American college students, graduate students, and recent graduates in offices of members of the Italian American Congressional Delegation in Washington, D.C., in order to encourage and support the next generation of Italian-American leadership. Don't miss out on this incredible career development opportunity. Apply today. And come celebrate NEAP's 2017 Region of Honors Sicily at this year's gala. Advance registration for tickets for the 42nd Anniversary Gala this November is officially open. Don't forget, NEAP members may purchase discounted tickets until July 14th. This incredible event sells out every year, so buy your tickets early. And for more information on all NEF in the news, visit www.neaf.org. Ciao. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for the main segment of today's episode, Fred Gardafe. Fred directs the Italian American Studies Program at Queens College CUNY and formally directed the programs in Italian American and American Studies at the State University of New York at Stony Brook. He's the author of many books on Italian American history and culture. We will link to his full profile in our show notes. You can see the extensive amount of works that he's been involved in. All right, Dolores, why don't you take us into the interview with a quote? All right, Anthony, this is from Anthony Burgess. It's always good to remember where you come from and celebrate it. To remember where you come from is part of where you're going.
All right, now it's time for the main segment of our episode, and today we welcome Fred Gardafay, a distinguished professor of English and Italian-American studies at Queens College, CUNY, and the John D. Calandra Italian-American Institute. Fred, welcome to the Italian-American Podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Hi, Fred. Hello, Dolores. We start every show by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about their Italian-American upbringing. All right. Well, I grew up in a small Italian enclave of outside of Chicago called Noel's Park, Illinois. My mother's parents come from Puglia, Castellana Grotte, a very little town south of Bari. And my father's mother comes from Basilicata, a little town, Trevino, called New Potenza. And Gardafe, everybody wants to know, why, how, how could that be Italian? Well, it's actually Basque, French. My grandparents met in uh, Chicago. My uh, French-Canadian grandfather could swear in Italian better than most Italians. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where he learned it. I never asked him. But I grew up, uh, I went to Catholic education all, all the 12 years of my life. I went to a predominantly Italian, Irish elementary school and then a totally Irish prep school in Chicago. So I was very aware of being Italian as soon as I left the neighborhood. <laughs> So, Fred, was it your grandparents that came over, or what generation? Yeah, it's all my grandparents. Okay. Father's father was born in, in uh, Annigo, Wisconsin, but my other grandparents were born in Italy. So you had some of your family was French-Canadian, right? Right. But the Italian seems to have dominated. Oh, it was total. total yeah, because, we hear that a lot. <laughs> yeah, <It's funny. laughs> No, it does. I, I even know people who are like 115th Italian, and it, it really kind of eats them up. But the... Uh, <laughs> But my grandfather had run away from home, uh, joined the army, and pretty much abandoned his family until later up in Wisconsin. And he pretty much was swallowed up by the Italian uh, family. And so I grew up thinking he was Italian because, like I said, he could swear, he could speak in uh, so interesting. Italian. And, but we never, you know what, when I was young, because I grew up in such a, an Italian neighborhood, we never consciously thought about what it meant to be Italian. This was just the way I, I thought everybody ate, you know, spaghetti on Sundays and Wednesdays and everybody had um, pasta fagioli on uh, Fridays and, uh, you know, because that's what my neighbors had. And then, you know, there were a few neighbors who weren't Italian and uh, we kind of laughed at the way they tried to make their spaghetti, you know, with, with ketchup and Kraft macaroni and cheese and stuff. Oh, Lord. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had that. I know what you mean by that, because really growing up was the same for me. And it's not really until this point in my life do I find myself more interested in, like, analyzing the culture and exploring it. Because up until this point, it's always just been a fact there. When I went to high school, I became very much aware of being Italian because it was a predominantly Irish-dominated school. We were kind of isolated for a while during the four years that I went to school there. I won't say alienated, but we were certainly separated. And uh, I wasn't used to that. Even though I would make some friends with the Irish kids, you know, we pretty much stuck around with the Italian kids. And I go back to my own neighborhood. But when I went back to my neighborhood, you know, because I went to a prep school and because I wore a tie and a jacket to school, people used to make fun of me. They would call me the professor back right. then. Do you know, I actually thought of that when I when I was researching you and your work. I thought, I wonder, because you come from this working class, blue collar right. town. I said, I wonder if they went around calling him the professor. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that, that was perfect. I mean, but they were making fun of me. You know, right. when I was a kid, I grew up in this town, which is, you know, if you Google it enough, you'll find that 
you know, even on these kind of silly maps about Chicago, it, right now they'll, it'll say Melrose Park retirement home of the mafia. You know, I mean, it was, oh. it was a very big mob town. And, you know, I, I wasn't aware of that until I went to high school that, you know, people say, oh, he's from mafia town. I go, what's the mafia? I didn't even know what the mafia was. Hmm. And um, when people went to jail in our neighborhood, uh, people would say, well, he's in college. Where's Joe? Oh, Joe's at college. Oh, and I went, when I went away to school, I came back for Thanksgiving break the first time. And uh, somebody came up to me and said, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. Where have you been? I said, oh, I was in college. <laughs> so he said, yeah. He said, uh, what'd you get? I go, you know, you know, what do you study? What's your major? But right. what did you get? Go, and then I realized he, he was looking for a sentence. You know, what did I get? Like <laughs> six to 12 months or something. Certainly we had doctors and lawyers but very few other people were educated beyond high school. Yeah. They didn't need to be. You know, I was certainly one of the first writers to come out of that neighborhood and to study a PhD. You know, when I wanted to study a PhD, my grandfather asked me, he said, so what are you going to study? You go to college. I said, I'm going to English. When I went to my undergraduate education, English. He goes, English. You were born in this country speaking English. <laughs> he says, I'm the one who should go study English. <laughs> I said, well, Grandpa, you know, this is what I, you know, he says, oh, I understand. I break the English, you fix it. <laughs> you know, he could, he could only see me in terms of, you know, some kind of practical skill that I could fix English. Right. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't for expressing things and so on. So it's. I'm sure it's a very long road, so I don't want, want to put you on the spot, but, you know, it does always interest me how somebody gets from family in a neighborhood like that to a Ph.D., I'm working on a, uh, a memoir about this, which I hope to have done soon. Uh, I've been working on it since I was 15 years old. When I was young, my father was killed when I was 10. My grandfather was killed when I was uh, 14. And my godfather had already been killed when I was about seven years old. And they, they were kind of, I'm not going to say mafia related, but there were certainly uh, interconnections there that, that caused all those things. After my grandfather got killed, my mother was afraid that I was going to grow up without any kind of, you know, male supervision. So she apprenticed me to these two brothers who had, one had, they both had legal businesses, but they were both connected to organized crime. And so she put me right into the middle of it. So for about four or five years, I was working in a restaurant supply company. And by day and by night, I was working in a uh, jukebox coin bending business, doing a lot of other things. And the interesting thing was that their father was the head of one of the families of New York. They were his first family. He went back to, went to New Jersey and created a second family. When he got killed in 1972, the brothers kind of went into hiding a little bit. Uh, not hiding, but they, they just kind of withdrew just to rethink what they were going to do with their lives. And they each gave me $2,500 and they said, go away. What I did was I went away to the University of Wisconsin and I never thought about it again for years until I got my English major, taught high school for a while. And then I was writing. I started doing my graduate work on Walt Whitman. And then I discovered Rose Bazzilli Green's book, The Italian American Novel. And I thought, what the heck? I've been studying Jewish American, I've been studying African American, I've been studying Asian American, all these literatures, but never once an Italian American writer. So I brought it up with my professors, and they kind of laughed at me. Oh, there's no Italian American writer. 
they're just as American as anybody else. And I was just stubborn by then. And I said, I want to do my dissertation on Italian American writers. And they wouldn't let me. Really? Yeah. So I withdrew. I took my master's degree, left University of Chicago. And I said, you know, the heck with academia. I'm, I'm not going on with this. I started researching and writing and giving talks and going to conferences. And, and I realized that, you know, there's a rich field here and that I did want to write a book about this. And I said, if I'm going to write a book about this subject, I'm going to get my PhD with it. And I found a school, University of Illinois, a few years later, and they accepted my idea. And, you know, I was 40 years old when I got my PhD. I wasn't this, you know, this young kid coming out. I had been a writer. I had plays produced. I was a journalist. Uh, I did every kind of writing you could do, but while I was teaching. You know, once I uh, finished my dissertation, I ripped the first page off, the title page, and I put a book title page on it, and I sent it to Duke University Press. And you know, with some revision, it was accepted, and it, it became the basis of my career that I've been building on ever since in Italian-American writers. And it really helped me to understand how ethnicity is used in academia and how some ethnic groups, racial groups, are privileged in the study because of their political action. And, you know, Italian-Americans never really took any kind of public political action. And so they've kind of stepped out of the limelight in terms of academia. They weren't really big attenders of uh, the university. You know, Italian-Americans reached above average income long before they reached above average education. So, it, you know, for me, it was this way of looking at my own background and looking outward. But I, I would never have gotten to the study of Italian-American literature and culture had I not studied Jewish-American, Asian-American, African-American, and so on. And I really see that, you know, especially in the 1980s, when the kind of multiculturalism idea began to enter into serious consideration for how to organize study. So, Fred, it's like the next frontier? Right. I think it's, it's the uh, inevitable extension of where you've been studying. And you start with yourself, and you move to the other, and then you begin to affect humanity. I think that most writers who do well write about what they know best. And if they are able to reach beyond themselves, they begin to touch other people by doing that. And I think what this does is it makes us stronger, I think, as an ethnic identity. You know, we just recently did an uh, issue of uh, Voices in Italian Americana on the Italian diaspora. And we have essays about Italians in Argentina the influence of Italian advertising in the United States, Italians in Wales and Scotland. When you begin to look at them, you say, oh, this is the same thing we experienced, but wait, this is a little bit different. So there's more than just the Italian-American experience. You know, we, people in the United States have a tendency to kind of look at the world from their perspective, expecting people to either meet it or exceed it or fall below it. Whereas when we begin to encounter these other Italian immigrations around the world, it makes us look at our own in a very interesting way. So, Fred, you've had an extensive career as far as publications. Like you said, you did some plays, you've authored and edited books. One of the books on the list that you authored that jumped out at me was the one entitled From Wise Guys to Wise Men, Masculinities and the Italian-American Gangster. And the reason I bring that up is because we've had several discussions on the podcast about how, you know, the mafia has kind of in, in a lot of ways dragged down the Italian-American community and people look bad upon it. But then in other ways, like in the Godfather series, there's a lot of parts of those movies where 
we watch them and there's, there's parts where you're like, man, like I can relate to that, like the gatherings. And so it's a little bit of a back and forth. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that work. Absolutely. I came to that book because so many people were coming up to me and saying that we're tired of being looked at as gangsters. And so I, I wanted to study why have we been looked at that way? And a lot of it has to do with the evolution of mass media in America at a time when the Italian immigration was starting and mass media began to manipulate the image of Italian Americans in order to sell news, sell radio programs, to sell television programs, to sell books and so on, and newspapers especially. And every little Italian crime that may have happened from 1860 on was always connected in some way to the mob. So what happens then is Americans begin to understand Italian culture through crime, through this media portrayal. Whereas in Italy, people understand crime by looking at Italian culture. We understand Italian culture by looking at crime. It's the complete opposite. So yeah. we use this very narrow way of looking. And so if two men are walking down the street and they're arm in arm, people in America would be likely to say, well, those are they're gangsters. And if you go to Italy, <laughs> that's the way men walk. you know. And I think the key is Coppola wasn't out to educate people uh, in The Godfather. He was out to make a movie. And so he didn't say, okay, this is real. This is not real. This right. way of celebrating a wedding is real. He's telling us just a story. And I think what we needed to do is not just in order to change the way people see this stuff, we have to educate the people. And, and that's where Italian-Americans have fallen short in terms of participating in American institutions. You know, we made it in, in businesses and and, you know, we're doing somewhat better than we've ever done before in politics and, and in industries and so on. But in education, people still don't see beyond this. You know, the larger image of the Italian comes to people through media, not through education. Whereas what I learned about African-Americans in school, I didn't learn anything about Italian-Americans in school. And so, therefore, I have to depend on these other sources, and especially as families begin to assimilate. Yeah, it's so true. And like, as you talk about it, I'm just thinking, and even like, as we get into the next generation or moving into modern days, like they have shows like, you know, like the Sopranos are on and then like teenagers today, like, oh, I'm Italian. And people are like, oh, you know, like Tony Soprano, because right, right. that's what they see. It's marketed all over the place. And you're right. I think we've definitely fallen short right. with this idea of in academia, being able to get information out to kids at younger ages and also even when we had Gay Talese on the show, which we've talked about before, is that, you know, he mentions even in the media, Italian-Americans have fallen short in getting into media and being able to represent Italian-Americans in the media in more of a positive and positive light. So that's definitely exactly. something that I think we need to focus on and hopefully through our show and we can keep trying. I think we have to do exactly what you guys are doing. I think every single way that we can do this and everybody thinks well there's no way i can compete with the sopranos they have millions of viewers and there's no way i could compete with the best-selling books and things like that we have to continue to work our own little everybody does something and and you'll see how much could happen that's well said why do you i'm just curious actually asking the both of you i mean why do you think that is like I, as you both were talking i was wondering if it's because of a, kind of like the italian american history of being insular you know, where like you turn into La Familia more than you turn out to the, the larger society, you know? That's very true, but we don't understand why that happened. I mean, Italy 
was a country that was constantly besieged by foreign forces. And people were always under surveillance. This is why dialects continued to survive. This is why we learned how to speak without using our words with hands mm. and gestures. You know, when you live in an occupied country, you can only trust what you know, and that's the family. Puzo, when he, the work he did before The Godfather ends up in his last book called The Family, which was about the Borgias. And his way of looking at Italians in the United States was through the family. You know, nobody ever called organized crime families until Puzo started use it in his work. And he was using it, of course, metaphorically. And of course, he was using The Godfather as a metaphor. But one time, my brother's godfather was in the electronics business. And uh, for my brother got married in um, January, and there was a big electronic show in Las Vegas. And his godfather, my uncle Rapa, whatever it from a gangster, we're in Texas. And, you know, they said, well, my brother said, I have to go to the airport. And they said, what are you going to do there? He said, I have to pick up my godfather, uh, my uncle Rocky, who's coming in from Vegas. And I go, oh, you know, they understood Vegas, <laughs> Rocky, gangster, right. you know. And right, so, right. And the idea of the godfather, I mean, I'm godfather to three kids, and it's completely different. Right. It's actually you know? a really high honor and a really important part right. of our culture. But, it, yeah. but it's, also, it's also a way of strengthening the family. I mean, too many people today in Italian-American culture make their relatives godparents. Do not purpose... get me started on this. I Go. Go ahead. No. <laughs> and so the, the, purpose, with you on this. Yeah. the purpose of the godfather is to take somebody outside the family that has power and bring them into the family in a very honorific way and in the closest way. You know, you have the nuclear family, you have the extended family, you have this, and then you have friends, and then you have neighbors, and then you have, so these continued concentric circles is the way Italians organize their lives. And in order to go from being an outsider to an insider, you have to go through a lot of different channels. Certainly Italians will invite you to their home, to eat, but they're not going to invite you into their families to know their family business unless they're really good friends. You know how many kids, people I grew up with calling uncles and aunts, and I had no idea whether they were my mother's brothers and sisters at all? You know, everybody was uncle this, uncle this, uncle this. Somebody once asked me, how many uncles do you have? I said, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> In growing up the way I did, I mean, everybody is, you know, kumara, right. kumba, you say right. kuma, kumba. There's a real reason, you know, like they have somewhere along the line, let's say maybe they're my brother's godmother or, right. you know, my sister's godfather. And so we all call them Kuma and Kumba because exactly, exactly through this honor, right, they've been welcomed into the family. And I totally agree with you on this. It's been an extension of the family. And I do think it's a shame that that's happened. So I am my niece's godmother, mm -hmm. which is great. And it's an honor, but she's my niece. Right. So it's become almost diluted for her. Now I have other godchildren that it's right. it's very strong because they're not actually blood-related. Easter's coming up, right? I wanna mm -hmm. give her a special Easter gift because she's my goddaughter, but she has a sister, a little sister who's also my niece, and I, I can't do that because they're both my nieces. Oh, but see, but you know I, I, mean? I, yeah, I have the same thing. My perfect example is the, uh, the godfather name used to come from the middle name. And I have a friend named Carmen you know, both my children, he's the godfather to both my children. And my daughter's Mariana Carmen, and my son is Federico Carmen. Oh. But this was my way of, you know, bringing him in into the family, because we always felt like we were brothers. 
Right. But but I'm also, you know, the same thing. I have the exact same thing that happened with you. My brother wanted me to be godfather to his youngest daughter, and she has an older sister. I just make sure I give her more money. Right. You know, <laughs> so funny because I'm putting together my Easter gifts for my godchildren. I'm like, all right, the other two can get obvious things like big chocolates, but I'm just going to slip my niece yes. some money. Exactly. <laughs> it's always going to be money because right. uh, that's how I grew up. My, you know, right. money the other was two the will most... get money too, but you know, right. they also get like a big chocolate, but you know, hers will be more like inconspicuous. Right. <laughs> yes. She's gotten robbed of a godmother in some way, you know, because exactly. I'm her aunt. I'll always be her aunt. Well, you know, I think that all of this and even what Fred was talking about before tracing this back to Italy is important because we know that a majority of Italian-Americans are Southern Italian and we know Southern Italians were treated horribly and basically a bunch of them kicked out of the country, which is how that we got here, essentially. And I think that that's a big part of this idea. And Dolores, like we talked about this yesterday when we got together. This is a big part of their mentality of turning into the family and not trusting people. Right. And it continues to manifest itself like generation after generation. It might change a bit, but it definitely goes all the way back. It's like there's like a deeper meaning that goes all the way back to how you know, we got here, I think. Absolutely. When I asked my grandmother, why did you come to America? She said, miseria. I don't want to talk yeah. about it. But but if we understand what's inside, what's behind that word miseria, I teach a whole course at Queens College called The Heritage of, of Southern Italy. Hmm. And we look at political, socioeconomic, we look at historical reasons uh, why so many Italians came. You know, we always say to have a better life and we leave it at that. But what was wrong with the life there, especially since I was one of the I was the first of my family to go back to Italy. And I said, why did they leave this beautiful place? My grandfather on my mother's side was the only one of his brothers and sisters to come. Another one of his sisters went to Brazil and Argentina, two other sisters. And um, the idea was that, you know, the Italians had a very difficult time dealing with the way that the country was reorganized after the Risorgimento. And uh, things were taxed, for example, like uh, they were taxing mules, which they needed to work, but they weren't taxing cows because they didn't have cows. The rich people had cows. Yeah. And you begin to understand this and you begin to see the power reasons why Italians came to the United States. And when they don't communicate that because they don't speak the language you know, of, of America and they don't speak it to their children and they don't tell these stories, that history gets lost and then we get confused or just totally unaware of what's going on. Larry Giustasi, one of our best uh, historians, just did a book called Branded about Italian-Americans in, uh, during World War II as enemy aliens. And he said the key that I always bring from reading him is Italian-Americans don't know what they don't know. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> I like that, yeah. It's well put, yeah. Well, one of the things that I'm doing to counter that is we're starting a series of what I'm calling Italian-American town halls. And we're going to hold them wherever Italian-Americans uh, meet. I'm not going to expect Italian-Americans to come to the university, although we are going to do one at Stony Brook University. But they're going to be town halls, and I feel like putting it for Italians only to see what, mm, what happens there. Yeah. And it's going to be entitled, You Don't Know What You Don't Know and Need to Know Now. <laughs> and like what, what I want is a series of people who have studied Italian-American culture up there and they're each going to tell the audience one thing that Italian-Americans don't know about themselves. The whole town meeting will be us answering questions from other Italian-Americans 
about the questions that they have. That's great. These general questions and use this as a way because we can't depend. I mean, because I, when I'm beginning to find out as I near the end of my career as teaching, although I, I don't have any plans to ever retire, but as I feel, you know, where I'm at, this needs to go beyond the school. We need to get into people's minds and the way we're going to do it is through podcasts like this, through television programs, through we're going to do town hall meetings. So I'm going to find out we're going to start on Long Island because this is like the promised land for the Italians who came to New York. And there's so many out here. So we're going to begin setting up these meetings at wineries, at places where Italian-Americans go. That's a good and idea. It's be, and it's going to be very non-invasive, totally informative. And you know, Because here's what happens. When I teach my courses in Italian-American studies, my students go home and they tell their parents these things. And the parents say, I never knew that. I never. Oh, that's why so-and-so acts this way. You know, the whole notion of figura, bella figura. What does that mean? Right. So my, my students then say, oh, my aunt wants to know if she can come to your class. And I said, sure, they can come to my class. And I've had grandparents and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and cousins just come in and sit in on my classes. And so I know there's a need for this knowledge out there. It's just so hard today because there's so many different ways of getting information that we just need to find the more efficient ways. And I think your podcast is, this is why I didn't hesitate a second when you asked to be on it, because even though we did miss something in communication in terms of the email here, <laughs> it that. Happened. but no, no, but to, <laughs> me, to me, this is it. And, and today, in fact, I'm leaving here today to go to the University of Connecticut, which is a, like a four hour ride to speak for an hour about Italian American stereotypes. Wow. That's awesome. To classes there, because this is what needs to be done. Right. That's how much yeah. it means to you. Fred, what was the name of your course about a Southern Italian? It's called uh, The Heritage of, of the South. Yeah. I mean, if I ever had a course like that in college, I mean, really, my life would have changed drastically. Sure. I would have been like 20 years earlier. I would have figured out right. like more about myself and where I came from. And I think that it's so interesting because what you talked about with the taxing of the animals and these taxes that were kind of levied against, which was directed to Southern Americans, essentially. I mean, Southern Italians. Exactly. Which I think is so interesting about that is when you look at it from a historical perspective, everyday person might just read about that and say, okay, that's interesting. But if you look into it more deeply, this whole process of taxing these people and basically driving them out of their country, obviously, number one, created our culture in a sense, but also created the mindset of our ancestors, of this mindset of protecting themselves and being very closed and very tight, which we're like, which is why we are the way we are today. And I think yes. it's so inter it's so interesting that like people don't realize this has all happened because that happened. Exactly. But this is classic psychological trauma passing on from one generation exactly. to the other. And if you don't deal with it, you're, you're going to repeat it and you're not going to even know why you repeat it. Why don't Italian-Americans give a lot of money to other causes? Because they give it to their family first, mm. you know? And then mm -hmm. if there's any, you know, we're only getting into the, to the philanthropic age of Italian-Americans now. Italian-Americans are beginning to put some money towards education. You know, when I went to raise money for the endowed chair at Stony Brook, I went around everywhere and I spoke. Someone said, why do we need to give money to public education? That's what our taxes go towards, you know? Whereas Jews who believe in, in education know that money creates knowledge. Money supports the creation of knowledge. Italian-Americans believe, you know, they, they believe in gaining knowledge, but they have to understand that you have to also create knowledge. 
I would say, too, that after the family, I think the church receives a lot of our money. Right. That's usually the next step. But how, how long does it take for money to get into education? It's right. a long time. And so, a long time, evidently. Right. No, <laughs> yeah. no. But, I, but I, when I tell these people, I, I said, look, do you have a friend who's a lawyer? Yes. Do you have a friend who's a car mechanic? Yes. Oh, yeah. I depend on my network of friends to get my life organized and, and to live comfortably. I said, do you have a friend in the university? He said, what do I need a friend in the university for? I said, do you have grandchildren to go to college? I said, yes. Yeah. So those kids get in trouble. Who do they go to? Oh, wow. I never thought of that. Here, here, I'll give $1,000 to your program. You know, they have to see it in a way that's practical to them. It's got to be tied back to their family in some regard. Exactly. Yeah, and I think this makes sense because when you think about it, I mean, the unification of Italy wasn't in the realm of the world. It wasn't that long ago. So this all makes sense that it's still like Italian Americans are just still dealing with that and just starting to feel more comfortable, like you said, because it just hasn't been a long time, really. Right. No, but also I think it hasn't hasn't been a long time, but it's also not something that has mattered in their own education. When I go to Italy and I work with people who teach American studies in Italy and I find out that they don't even say a word about anything Italian-American, I ask them, I said, this is the largest migration in 20th century history. And it's affected almost everybody in Italy has an uncle or somebody who went to Italy and went to the U.S., came back, went to Argentina, came back. Why don't you teach us? Because when I went, and they say, when I got my PhD at an American university, it was never talked about. They never talked about Italian-American writers. They never talked about Italian-American history. So it doesn't become important, and then it doesn't get passed on to generation. What does get passed on to generation is all this, you know, the psychic trauma or or the the absence of understanding these things, and the attitudes get passed on. And we continue to act that way, but we don't know why we did. Hmm, That's interesting. Well, Fred, we're going to start to wrap up here. But what I'd like to ask you as we wrap up is you've accomplished a lot in your career. But as you move forward from this point on, what are some of the the bigger goals you have here as you're moving forward in the next few years? Yeah, what I want to do is I would like to create kind of a a public public forum for uh, Italian-Americans to be able to discuss. We do this through the, the town hall meetings that I've talked about. I want to create Italian-American in graduate programs so we can create people who are teachers. I'm working very hard to create you know, Italian-American. You don't have to study a whole PhD program in Italian-American studies, but everybody in American studies should be aware of Italian-American experiences as they go on and teach. So my goal is to create the next generation of me, there, because there wasn't a previous generation right. of me in, in academia. So my, my biggest responsibility now that I see is to go out and help the people at the point in their careers where I was, where I didn't get any help, and I kind of stumbled on my own, and I had to depend, as, as my grandfather would call them, I had to depend on the marigans with, with the <laughs> kind hearts to be able to, right. support, to support my work, and to institutionalize Italian-American culture, to make it part of our libraries, our art museums, our uh, our schools, uh, just to make it a part, you know, to widen the understanding of what it means to be Italian-American and to understand the future. You know, how do we do future studies? We do future studies by knowing the present. There's a, a, a scholar just finished the first book, which was a uh, sociological study of third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth generation Italian-Americans. Where is it being published? It's being published in Italian 
in Italy. My goal is to get this book translated into English. I've read it for Professor Rosemary Sierra, you know, and she came to the United States and she studied in the New York area, the tri-state area, Italian Americans, hundreds and hundreds of Italian American youth to get to understand, you know, why don't you belong to the Sons of Italy? Why don't mm -hmm. you, you know, what, what's going, what do you want? And her findings are outstanding and astounding. And so my goal is to get this information out. So that, if I can accomplish those things, I could be happy. That's great. And I, I just have one more question because you just brought something up. So I have three young kids and, you know, I brought them to Italy for the summer and I try to get them to embrace their That's Italian it. heritage. But you're mentioning future studies. I guess the question is, like, how much do these kids, should they be learning about the past in order to help them with the future? I think you just hit the nail on the head. They have to know that they, first of all, have a past that doesn't depend on a lot of the traditions that keep alive our past. I mean, you know, when I was a young kid, the lasagna was always bigger than the turkey. Now today, the turkeys are always bigger than the lasagna. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. They, they need to understand that. So I think they, they need to understand it a lot. But I also think that as long as there's in Italy and as long as there's in the United States, there will always be Italian Americans. You know, what you're doing, bringing your kids to Italy, letting them see that. I took my kids, I said, I said once you guys learn Italian, we're going to go to Italy. And in their junior years in high school, that summer, I took them both at different times in their one one year and one another year. I took them to Italy, and that has changed their lives. That's they don't terrific. go to Italy as often as I do, but they certainly identify as Italian-American. Plus, you know, keeping in touch with the family. But I also educate my family. My family, we did a family cookbook, which you can get on Blurb. We, you know, we're not trying to sell it to the world. We wanted to keep our family recipes together. So we did this beautiful book, and I had a brother-in-law who was an illustrator and a uh, sister-in-law who was a, uh, a dietitian, and we created this book, and we told the stories in the book. you got to tell the story. Stories are much more important than history. Well, thanks, Fred, so much. Thank you. Will we see your memoir maybe in 2018? In 2018, that's what I'm shooting for. All right, great. Fred, thanks for your time here. We really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you, Fred. Thank you. I have like a hundred other questions for you, uh, but if you I, have to come back on and we'll do this again. <laughs> absolutely. I, you can call me every day. I, this is my life. <laughs> it's now time for the Italian American story segment of the episode. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations, we try to play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or our own relatives or even read something that a listener submitted. In today's segment, you're going to hear a story from Christian Piazza, who has directed a documentary about three Italian immigrants. We'll jump into it right here, Dolores and Christian. All right. So now for the story segment of our show, I'd like to welcome Christian Piazza, director, producer of Waiting a documentary that tells the story of three young Italian immigrants in New York. It's a tale about second chances and giving up old structures to thrive in a new cultural environment with voiceover by John Turturro. Christian, welcome to the Italian American podcast. Hi, welcome. Thank you for, for, for this opportunity. Of course. We're excited to talk about this um, documentary you've made. Let's just start with you telling us a little bit about how this movie came about. There, well, I usually have a short answer and a long one. Okay. Uh, the Whichever one, one you'd is, like. <laughs> <laughs> the quick one was that I had to. It was, um, it was 
I thought it was my last train to this idea of turning a filmmaker. It happened, I was working for um, the Italian television here in New York um, and for an for online project. And all of a sudden, the project, the whole program was, was cut, um, cut off because of lack of funds. And so I, I, my head was spinning for a week trying to figure out things. And, uh, and then I thought, you know, I, sat, I sat with a friend and I, and I thought there was the right moment to, to bring out a project. And I've uh, been thinking about all this, all this people I met. Uh, I work in restaurants and, and the stories were never told. So I decided it was the right, right story. I thought it was a good story there to tell. Got you. So tell us actually a little bit about where you're from. I mean, you sound like a, there's a little bit of an accent, but not, not too much. <laughs> right. Uh, that's a million dollar question. <laughs> well, this is, this is how it gets uh, interesting. Uh, I was born and raised in South America. Hmm. And um, my family is Sicilian. And I was born in Venezuela, actually. And but there's this strong connection also with Argentina because my great-grandmother migrated there in the 60s and I have family in New York as well so I've been living here for 17 years in the states right and yeah it's it's not a, a one-way my, my story goes to it's not a two-point story it goes you know it's a triangle I go from right. Italy to South America and from South America to the states and and I have uh, good friends in Australia and in Canada. So I have a good idea what a Italian immigrants look like all over the world. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's, it's um, kind of interesting. I mean, this is kind of my next question, you know, um, Anthony and I do this show and we really don't feature anybody but Italian Americans. I mean, we even kind of very rarely have, if ever, I'm trying to think, you know, just straight Italians, uh, it's really yeah. a show about being Italian American, even though we're aware of the fact that there are many Italian Australians, you know, Italian Venezuelans, and and uh, around the world, Italian Canadians. You know, maybe at some point, other people will want to do a podcast talking about those particular cultures. For Anthony and I, this is our experience. It's what right. we know, right? So it's what we talk about. One reason I thought it would be interesting to speak with you is because of the documentaries subject, of course, which is about new Italian immigrants trying to make their way in America, which is also something we don't we don't really talk about often. Again, not because, you know, we're trying to exclude them or anything like that, but it's again, not our experience. You know, we right. are we are really talking about the culture that was made by our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents. So one interesting question I have for you is these people that you talk about in the documentary, and we'll get into more detail about them, how does their experience differ from, let's say, the earlier generations of Italian immigrants to America? I think, I think you, you made a great point there. Um, one of the reasons I make this movie, it was to create a, a bridge in between the two countries, and uh, specifically New York and, and Italy. But the fact that they're so different, Italians don't know much about Italian Americans, mm. and it, and Italian Americans are are getting very curious about knowing more 
as because they they like to travel back to their 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 parents or grandparents uh, town and they want to know the culture so I, I my intention was to create this bridge and one of the reasons I wanted to bring John Turturro into the film is because of that because I think he he's he's a perfect example of of that to create a connection between the two cultures and he's also very active in the Italian culture making films in Italy almost every year uh, so and he made a documentary a few years ago about the Neapolitan song called Passione, Passione yeah. I, I, I thought of him as a perfect match for you know to glue this to to um, countries. <laughs> so do you feel, I mean, I don't even know if, how, how much you know about earlier immigrants, but do you feel like these newer Italian immigrants are facing, you know, different obstacles, whether it's, you know, to work and success or to assimilation than earlier generations of immigrants? I think there's a different circumstances, definitely. They created their own timeline. They're not Americans and they're not Italians. Um, and the new generation are still very attached to the country. I, you know what? If I had to guess, that's how I would explain it. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and they come, well, it, it's easier now to go back. Exactly. You know, they, they, they go back twice. We can go back, you know, we can travel twice right. a year. Right. Uh, uh, we can see live television we can read the papers I and mean, it's it's a, it's a different circumstance you have skype you can see your family every exactly. day i remember when my when i was little you know to call italy was like a big deal it was expensive and my father would be like all right hurry up like <laughs> on the phone you know we would be talking to the relatives and you'd have to make it quick it was expensive right right and uh but i think the generation the old generation and i'm talking about because my parents my grandparents were immigrants in a different country, but they 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 went through the same situation, and I think they were left alone by their country. So at some point they have to say, "Okay, we're we're on our own. Let's let's you know let's do something for ourselves." And that's why for me it's like a different a different timeline between Americans and Italians is like Italian Americans is very precise. Right. Right. I wonder also if it remains to be seen how that changes for current Italian immigrants, you know, if if even over 20, 30 years of a life in this country, even with all the contact they can have with Italy if if they begin to, you know, feel more American than not, let's say. I guess we'll we'll see. I don't know. I think culturally um uh... I mean, my daughter speaks Italian, and she's eight, and I, I, I spoke Italian to her since day one. Um, she speaks English pretty good. <laughs> right. But she also speaks Italian, and, and, and I think there was a problem with that in the past, too. Mm -hmm. Earlier generations, for sure, yeah. Right. They, weren't, they were forbidden to speak a different language. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe. I mean, people change, and, and uh, uh, even if you spend 20 years in a different country, you're not the same person anymore. Exactly, right, exactly. 
So let's dive a little bit into uh, a little bit into the documentary itself. You have you follow three uh, Italian immigrants in New York, right. and right. why did you choose these three subjects in particular? Why don't you just tell the listeners briefly about each of them? Right, I I, I wanted to focus on a specific group of people, middle class, no privilege. They all work in restaurants, hence the name of the film, which is Waiting waiting because they serve and, and they serve tables or they work in restaurants and, and waiting because there's this this hope of moving forward into their careers and their lives. Um, there's three three subjects. Uh, I One is um, a professional boxer and he's looking for self-validation. He had a rough loss in Italy so he decided to move here and train in the best boxing gym, the Gleason Gym in Brooklyn. And he wanted to, to find out if he, he was really a boxer. You know, he, he said, I'm going to train with the best and let's see what happened. If they think I'm, I'm, I'm really this kind of uh, boxer that I think I am. But... And then the Paolo, Paolo Bufagni is a, it's a, it's an opera singer. But he didn't know he was an opera singer until until he moved here. He was a former actor. And when he moved here, not knowing the language, he said, well, if I want to keep doing, keep working on a stage, I need to find out something. So he said uh, he had always had this thing about singing. And he decided to take classes and became a tenor. And he's from Modena, which is which is uh, you know hometown of Pavarotti, and 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 he looks like Pavarotti a little bit. So it's it's. A, <laughs> <laughs> and then the third guy is from Padova, and um, this story is very particular because um, this guy came here in search of identity. He kind of lived in a bubble with a fam with his family, right? And then his family just his parents just got divorced, and. For Italians, that's a big thing. Right. Even if you're 20, in your 20s. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he decided to move and take this as an adventure. But then, you know, the big city lights and, and the nightlife take him into a different path. So he, this guy is a redemption story, if you look at it. He went through a rough path of alcohol and even drug addiction, and he came you know he came over that and 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 tried to to become an entrepreneur that's that's his main goal at the end what did you feel christian you learned you know in the course of making this film i learned how to make a film well that's always good yeah you <laughs> listen you learn by doing that's how we've yeah. gotten this far with the show for sure <laughs> exactly uh -huh. i wanted to i didn't want to make a film about uh immigrant as a political weapons you know mm. like uh, I don't want I didn't want to target them or, or attack them I wanted to see these people as as human beings and and I think the film is about life as an immigrant but not you know as a political weapon right it's, it's about the the real person behind that word let's say and what they go through those stories are very personal and there's not uh, the reason why they they moved here. 
are quite personal and very intimate. Like you said, you're forced to leave and then you have to mm, move. Right. You know, we, we've seen this every day. If, if you're in a, in a country with a, with a conflict or a war or something like that. So, but they weren't forced to move. They chose to came here. Right, very different it circumstances, was, yeah. Right. Even, even our own, our, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, they were forced to come mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. to a place. I mean, they needed to survive and feed their families, right? <laughs> when you say that they chose to come, the flip side of that is they can choose to not be here. Exactly. Right? But then with the earlier generations, like my parents, you know, I guess they could have chose, but at the same time, there wasn't, there wasn't much for them back home. What were they right. going to give their children? What were they going to do for their future? Right. So it's, it is, it's different circumstances. It's an act of love. Not hmm. for, it, I, I think the older generation weren't doing things for themselves. They were right. thinking ahead. Right. It's a great way to put it. They were thinking, look at you, look at me, look at you. Right. We're doing something that and I think they had this vision. I think that's well said. It was more about the sacrifice for the larger vision. Right. Well, Christian, terrific. Um, can As we wrap up here, do you want to just tell people a little bit about, um, you know, how they can watch the film, if there are upcoming viewings, or, you know, where the film's at at this point, basically? If people do want to take a look or learn more about it, where should they go? We had a, um, a nice uh, year and a half of festivals. We were not done yet. I think there's a couple of festivals in the summer so the movie is is online on vimeo and the link is uh, vimeo.com slash on demand slash waiting duck great and of course we'll we'll add that to the show notes so you guys can just visit the show notes and click on the link if you want as well it's only 2.99 so terrific All right. Well, we definitely want to congratulate you and encourage all of our listeners. Yes. To check, to check out the movie. It's a documentary called waiting and uh, maybe there'll be a follow-up somewhere down the future, down the line here about uh, what, what happens to these, these three young men. Christian, thank you for being a guest on the Italian American podcast. Thank you for inviting me. All right, I hope you enjoyed that Easter episode. Fred was certainly a very, very engaging guest for sure. He's scholarly, of course, from the academic side of things, but he is kind of really out there engaged and wants to do all these amazing things for the Italian-American community, and Dolores and I got really inspired about that interview. So, Dolores, why don't you take us out of this one? My pleasure, Anthony. So we hope you all have a terrific, beautiful Easter with your families. You can join our family by checking out The New Neighborhood, as we mentioned in the beginning, and also by joining us on social media. We are on Instagram at Italian American. We are on Twitter at Ital American. And we are on Facebook at Italian American Podcast. Buona Pasqua!